Content warnings for this episode include spiritual, emotional, and physical abuse towards somebody who is differently abled and a mention of suicide attempt. In this episode of Life After, I speak with Dustin Van Dyke, a differently abled trans drag performer who was featured in HBO's We're Here season two finale. Remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Join our secret community on Facebook so that you do not have to deconstruct alone. This is the voice of Brady Harden, and you're listening to the Life After Podcast, all about deconstructing your beliefs, discovering who you are, and reimagining the future. Enjoy this episode. Let me kind of unpack that for you a little bit. You told me your life has changed, I don't know, just a tad bit, I guess, overnight. Uh, you were just featured on the show We're Here uh, on HBO, which is one of my favorites. Um, but how weird is this experience for you so far? It's really weird, but like in a good way. Um, because, you know, growing up, I was told I was never going to amount to anything. You know, I'm a piece of shit type of thing. like. So having this and having the reaction and seeing that I'm actually reaching people and making a difference just by (laughs) being me and being unapologetic about it, like... What? It's like you went from being told you were never going to amount for shit to becoming the shit. <laughs> Pretty badass. Um, but I want to start with your story, right? Because that's how we all began. Do you mind sharing the struggles that you experienced? For the people who may not have seen the episode yet, first of all, get your ass on that. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> for those who haven't seen this yet I am in a wheelchair due to spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy for clarification before I go any further no that does not mean I am paralyzed I feel everything the neurons and nerves in my brain the firing path uh, misfires on a constant basis is like the easiest way to explain it So my brain doesn't communicate with my body as Hmm. non-differently able people would. That just means I depend on help. I am independent once I'm in my chair for the most part, but like help going to the bathroom, getting in and out of bed, dressed, and things that normally nobody would ever think about. We call us norm normies. Mm-hmm. Is that is that appropriate? So I mean, there's things that as normies we just take for granted and we never would have thought of, mm-hmm. but that created a completely different experience for you growing up. Even though you're right alongside people who didn't understand what you were going through. Exactly, and then growing up, you know, not only facing challenges with my different ability. It is a disability, but usually I prefer not to refer to it in that Mm -hmm. because it's been used as a negative connotation. What would be a better word for us to use or for me to use? Um, If you use the term different ability Mm -hmm. um, in place of that, 
or if you use differently abled, either one of those terms, I feel are more positive and uplifting rather than disabled. That's a great point. I agree. Thank you for telling me that. I'm going to remember that. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) But growing up, I do have two younger biological siblings, but the younger siblings, they were born without differences. So growing up, uh, my father, who, I mean, he was super like hard on me. I don't know. I think part of it was because of me being different and not even my identity, just the different ability. Because he, I think, knew people were going to be tough on me in the world. Um, But he took it way out of line and then started involving, you know, growing up in that household, uh, my biological parents divorced when I was 10 and my siblings were like one and maybe two. Mm. But I was old enough to understand at least to an extent what was going on. So then we got put after multiple custody battles, me and my siblings got put with my father and his girlfriend, now wife, because of, you know, the custody battles and all the court stuff. And that, that is when the religion and me being different, that's when everything started to amplify and get worse. Because I grew up in a household that they believed in God, but especially my, my father, my father. He would take pieces and parts of the Bible and like twist it to fit his need. Basically. Wow! Yeah. Basically, unless you were a straight Christian white person, it bad. No, no, no. Yeah, any way that you could be different or not part of the dominant culture is what makes us queer or makes us different and makes us undesirable to somebody who is conditioned to think that that's the end all way to be, right? Yeah, well, and I mean, my grandmother, and God, I wish I could have talked to her about this. She was raised in the Lutheran Mm. Um, But the way she believed was, way more progressive and open-minded. She was under the love everybody unless they do something wrong, you know, like really wrong. Doesn't matter if you're gay, straight, black, white, Mexican, like you're a person in her eyes. Mm -hmm. Whereas with my father, it was, no, it was not that. My biological mother, I think, just kind of went along with whatever. To make it happens happen. a lot, doesn't it? Just it with does. parents where they get stuck into that, where one of them takes it very literal and they are the leader of the house, et cetera. So other family members kind of get stuck into that. And with you being different, what, what were you to do? You can't 
decided yeah. to <laughs> fit in because that isn't who you were. Well, and see, the thing of it was as well, like I said, growing up, anything that's different, especially LGBTQIA2S plus um, community, it was not talked about. And if it was, it was, oh, they're going to hell. Hmm. You know, this is my father's idea. Uh, oh, they're going to hell. So, like, nothing was ever talked about. I never knew that, you know, these different orientations or different people it existed. Like, I didn't know it was a thing for a long time. But, like, when I was, like, five years old, I knew. Like, in my head, I never told anybody, and I wish I would have told my grandma. Because I know she would have supported me, but damn it, I can't now. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Like, I can, but I can't. (laughs) And so, Hmm. you know, with it never being talked about except for, oh, they're going to hell. Like, me knowing at five years old something wasn't right with my body being one female. And not being able to say a damn thing about it killed me more than I would let on. I got really, really good at putting on a face, putting on a mask, just acting through my life so nobody knew. Because especially as I got older and, you know, those custody battles happened, we got put with my father. Uh... There was a lot of physical abuse. And even when it came to being friends with someone who was questioning their identity, it was someone I went to school with and I had just graduated high school. Um, Well, my father decided to use my computer and look through it. And he did that with his phone. He did that with my even though I was of age or like my phone my father didn't even pay for the service my grandmother did it was just so snooping I, there was no justification it was it was control mm. he, did, he didn't do that with the other ones he didn't do that with his stepdaughter he didn't do that you know when the other ones got older it was me Hmm. It was the control because I was different and able to be manipulated because I can't get up and run away. I can't get in the car and drive away. You know? Yeah. Pack a suitcase and go stay in a freaking hotel for if need be. What he did was he found that I was friends with my stepsister's husband's brother who is openly gay just an association wow and then also my friend that i went to high school with that was questioning their identity at the time found that (sighs) this might be a lot for i'm gonna pre-warn some of the listeners it might be kind of heavy but it needs to be said it needs to be out agreed I 
I try to kind of see it from my father's point of view sometimes to try to understand it. Um, because I did face a lot of physical, mental, and emotional abuse. You know, when I was, I believe I was a sophomore in high school, freshman or sophomore, and I had spoken to one of my other aunts that lived in Nebraska, which is my father's sister, and she knew about the abuse going on. So she finally called, um, like, caseworkers or whatever and they came and pulled each of us kids out of class and talked to us each well i i was always scared of reporting to authority because i knew that he my father would find a way to turn it around where oh no they're just making up stories you know no no this didn't happen like putting on a facade like, I'm this perfect father to my child, you know? And so I talked to the caseworkers, the social workers or whatever, and I was sobbing because I go, I would go through a lot of mental abuse. Um, I would get, like, slapped for running over a towel that was on the floor. Really ridiculous shit and they would I don't understand it but they would somehow find it in a way of God says punish your children if they do something bad the spirit the rod that bullshit right yeah and so like with me it wasn't even just oh you like you hit someone like if I accidentally hit someone you know and we're playing around or whatever. And it wasn't that. If I had below an A in school, which a lot of the time I did. Same. <laughs> I would be grounded and I would be hit. Sometimes, not all the time, but there were times that I did get hit for that. Um, or if, you know, like with the social workers well then law enforcement got involved and this is where you know i struggle to trust that law enforcement actually helps people is because of this and because of you know when the divorce happened we were living with my mother at the time and cops would constantly come over but after i talked to the social workers at school of course cops showed up at the door And my father went out to talk to them and was civil, like nothing was wrong. I don't know what he told the cops because he told me to stay the hell inside, you know. So I'm sitting there like in my head and I'm shaking. And he comes back in and beats me. Wow. You shouldn't tell the cops that you're lying. It's bullshit. Because he wanted to seem like this perfect father to his differently abled child so there's just constant manipulation narcissism trying to come across as this perfect person who wants to be a leader and wants god's will to be done but at home they're coming home and physically abusing their differently abled child like that's heartbreaking 
Yeah, and I mean, I do. um, My biological mother actually mentions it in the show, but I would ask all the time, why, why was I made different? Why did God or, you know, whoever at that time, I would say God, because that's what I was taught. But, you know, why did God or whoever created me as an individual make me this way? And my father would always say, and his mother would always say, it was a punishment for their, my parents' sins. God. Uh, they were 17 and 21 when they had me. Um, they were not very responsible in the choices they made when they were young, at, you know. And then they have a differently abled child who they, I've been told my father, when he found out there was something quote unquote wrong with me, like when the doctor said, oh, there's something up, you know, I, I've been told that he wanted to get rid of me, either abortion or let me be born and have adopted out. Because he didn't want that. And the the funnier thing about it is the first child he wanted was a the first child that he wanted to have was a boy. But he quote unquote had a girl. And now um with the I don't know if this is the right word. But with the oppression that I faced with that, when I moved here and I came out as bi, that was one of the last times I had talked to my father until recently, uh, which was in 2015. He just started throwing Bible verses at me and we hung up and we didn't speak until after filming wrapped and the only reason we spoke then is because like three days after filming wrapped we went to my little brother's wedding when i left my little brother and sister weren't even teenagers and now they're grown adults 20 and almost 21 and my mother wanted me to go to the wedding but she's like oh just dress like a girl da 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 I'm like, they're going to be able to tell the difference, you know, in my voice. I'm not going to fake being who I am. I've done that for so long. You're over that. I I still need to find my path. And I was scared as hell going up there because it had been eight, nine, ten years since I talked to some of them. And, you know, when they found out because I blocked everybody on Facebook, you know, I didn't want that negativity. They, through somebody, found out that I was transitioning. I think it was actually me because my little sister decided to take a phone call of mine one time. And she's, you know, she was defending my father. Well, you hurt him. You need to understand that even though some of the stuff he did, and of course, I'm kind of putting it in my own words, but it's her words. 
Um, some of the stuff he did was shitty. And yeah, he shouldn't have treated you like that. Um, like, for example, a mental trauma, and this still haunts me to this day. First of all, I am going to mention that I am a suicide attempt survivor. Uh, my senior year of high school, I almost committed suicide because all the abuse, all the bullying. I never thought I was going to be able to get out, let alone discover what was different with me that was never talked about. I, You know, I felt so weird. I didn't feel right. And so I did try to commit suicide my senior year. Uh, but for some reason, the universe was like, nope, not today, bitch. <laughs> and then, you know, later on that same year, whenever they found out about that, they made me read the Bible because they're like, well, you commit suicide, you're going to go to hell. And I'm just like, they made me read the Bible for like a week straight. I wasn't allowed to do anything else except eat, sleep, pee, you know, bathe, read the Bible. And well, then, you know, I mentioned earlier how my father would take my phone and check, like go through it, even though I was of age enough where, you know, that shouldn't have been anything. Well, and then I, you know, he would tease me, but he would take the teasing too far. Uh, with the power chair, there are two little levers, one on each side, that you can disengage the motors to push it. Like if the wheelchair dies or something goes wrong, you know, you can push it. If you disengage the motors, there is no working power to the wheelchair so he would do that a lot and force me to watch horror movies and different things like that my god um, with the suicide attempt when he found out about that and then he took my phone to go through it i was having a fit he had my siblings put my chair into neutral just so i couldn't drive away and he he had me well, you know, because I was hysterical, like, with emotions at that point. And he was just laughing because he thought it was the funniest thing. And my siblings were just kind of going along with him because, you know, daddy's kids, they don't want to make daddy upset. Right, right. And uh, <sighs> so he proceeds to ask me, so how are you going to do it? And I had told him, I said, a gun. So then he proceeds to make me download one of those like gun simulator apps on my phone. Yeah. Put it to my head and quote unquote pull the trigger and just laughed hysterically and then yelled at me. You don't need to commit suicide. Your life isn't that bad. Dustin, fuck. None of this is helpful. No. And so for a long, long time, the mental toll, there are times it still haunts me. And honestly, if I am being truthful right now. How toxic. Wow. 
put yourself in my shoes for a minute, and I am not saying this in a rude way. Just put yourself in my shoes for a minute. Day in, day out. Having to have somebody help you get out of bed, help you get dressed, help you go to the bathroom. Yes, I, I am grateful for the help, but there are days where it gets to me some worse than others where I'm like, well, what did I do to deserve to be punished for their actions? They walked away scot-free because, you know, especially my father found out, I don't know when it kicks into effect, but at a certain point when I was old enough, you know, they get money for having a differently able child. So they took advantage of that too. He did especially. And uh, so there was monetary abuse. Like when I went off to college, they would only send me $200 of my monthly money that I get in my name when I was old enough. And they would keep my card because they didn't think I was capable enough. So there was a lot of you're not capable or like if I said that expressed that I was in mental distress and was trying to reach out for help. I'm not as direct about it. If you know, you have to know me to know when I'm reaching out. I don't do it just for attention. And he just thought it was hilarious. He's like, you're too chicken shit to do it. And they would hide everything possible from me. So the one time that I did attempt suicide, I was laying in my bed because they had put me in bed. I waited for them to leave. I rolled over. So I was onto my stomach and face down in the pillow, trying to suffocate, sobbing, crying myself to sleep. Next thing I know, the next morning, I wake up shaking. And they, you know, they would always say, well, my stepmother especially, don't expect stuff handed to you on a silver platter. You're not royalty. Don't be lazy. But I would be the Cinderella of the house. I would be the one doing all the laundry. I would be the one mopping and sweeping, which that is extremely difficult in the chair. Um, Tablecloth. If something wasn't folded right, a lot of times it would be unfolded, thrown back at me, redo this again. So it's a lot of mental abuse, especially. There were, you know, physical times. Like when I came back from college, I think on summer break, my first year or some sort of, no, some sort of break, like spring break or something. Um, and John, my father decided to go through my phone, found out that as we all do, I'm sure you could relate to this even. I was drinking in college. Now, mind you, my brain goes, he can't say shit. 
because he was drinking at 13, 14, 15, smoking cigarettes, you know, weed, God knows what else. Like, I'm not judging, but like. You should at least understand, right. But that's not going to, that that's not going to make a difference for this, is it? No. And he, you know, he found out that I was planning on getting a tattoo and got all pissed about it and found out I was friends with. (laughs) I went home for a weekend one day from college and the college I went to um, in Nebraska was predominantly um, people of color. You know, it wasn't for people of color. That was just the predominant population. So, of course, I made friends with people of color. He was going through my phone one day, and I had a picture of my friend. It wasn't inappropriate, but he was shirtless Mm -hmm. and person of color. And, And he saw that, and then he looks at me and then takes my phone and shows my siblings and goes, well, this is what happens when you go off to college, guys. You become friends with N-words. And then proceeds to, like, throw my phone back at me. So there, a lot of it was verbal abuse that turned into mental abuse. Wow. And then there were ones that, you know... It it was just anywhere. God. Well, I'm glad you're far from that now and that you're here. I think that the world is better with you in it, but damn, I fucking hate how much suffering you had to do underneath that narcissistic personality. You know, that's. uh, Yeah. It, it, I still struggle sometimes because when you get to know me, okay. I was very sheltered as a child very sheltered like I didn't get to go really maybe one sleepover that I remember once I moved with a step parent and my father but I didn't really get to go out and do you know things like other kids slash people so unless you know my parents were there granted you know I need help so I can't go anywhere without help if I need to go to the restroom or, you know, something like that. But I was so sheltered that I don't have the same social skills that a lot of people have. And so my father would always tell me that I'm self-centered and I'm conceited. And apparently even now, there are people that have complained to other people about me with how I am with my social skills. And I'm like, if there's a problem, they need to talk to me. Agreed. They don't want to talk to me because they don't know how to, or they're afraid to hurt me. But if, if I don't know that something is bothering you, or that I come across, you know, accidentally on a certain way. But you don't tell me. And then I hear it from somebody else. For one, it hurts more. For two, 
I didn't know that was happening. How the fuck am I supposed to fix it? For three, I can't totally fix it because it's part of my personality I've learned. Like, it's just one of my quirks of who I am and what makes me me. Not that I'm like, oh, self-centered, the whole world on me, da 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 But, like, if we're having a conversation and you say something about, oh, I had surgery on my arm because I broke it. I will acknowledge that and then flip the conversation of, oh, yeah, I've had surgery here, you know. So kind of flip the conversation around on me, not necessarily intentionally, like, to make it about me. And not that I don't care about other people, but that's just how my... That's how you associate. I think you're describing something that's very familiar to me. um, And it's something I've had to learn to do different as an interviewer. But it's how I talk is if somebody says, hey, I had an experience like this, my thing is, well, I want to show that I can relate with them by saying, oh, I've also had experience. But it's not with the intention of trying to one up or trying to change the conversation on you. I think a lot of times it's our intention to add to the conversation by doing that. But some people don't always know how to respond and then it gets stuck in kind of a weird loop thing, right? You understand me. Thank God. Uh, Well, here's the other thing too, Dustin. I think one of the reasons I do understand you I think that the way we communicate in a way that our brains work is because we grew up with narcissistic parents. And I think that does a lot to one's how we communicate, why we communicate. It does a lot to how we think and how we operate too. And um, I think this is one of those ways is we grow very empathetic and showing, hey, I have had a similar thing is kind of like um, our way of giving a conversational gift to somebody. (laughs) Hey, I made this for you. Yeah. And showing (laughs) support. Mm -hmm. I wish more people understood that, but I know that this world, not every single person in it, but I know that generally this world is cruel towards people who look different or act different or Mm -hmm. conversate different, like, or who handle, everybody has traumas, I believe. Every single person on this freaking planet has traumas, but some of us have worse traumas than others and every person who has severe traumas copes with it differently my family on my father's side owns a bible camp in nebraska what i what i affectionately call um conversion camp oh because shit. we were we were when the custody battle happened we moved in with my father and his now wife. We were living in Montrose, which is about an hour from here. But then he decided, oh, it's too violent in Colorado. There's too much crime. He's like, oh, plus my parents are 
you know, elderly and they live up there and we don't know how long we're going to have left with them and it's going to be safer for the kids. So after that battle, we were had no choice but to be moved to a town of about four to six hundred people. God. Um, mostly elderly people, mostly. Uh, church on every corner. Everybody knows everything about everybody. Like everything. Sometimes you would hear, oh, did you hear who so-and-so's with or like they slept with? Like it was that type of thing. And if you were different, you were an outcast. And so I had to play the female role well. I mm, So well, it was toxic. But I also, you know, with my father, you have the toxic masculinity. But living in that town of 600 people, Everybody knowing everything about everybody, me facing the physical, mental, emotional abuse due to religion or otherwise. Most of the time it was otherwise, but religion always got intertwined in there. Always, yeah, always tied in. You know, God, God doesn't make gay people. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't, you know you're going to go to hell unless you repent type of thing. And so I had to play the role so well. The only time that I got to kind of feel like myself was when we'd have spirit week at school. K through five is elementary. Six through eight is middle. Nine through 12 is high school. Well, when I first moved there, so I got demoted back to sixth grade. And I was not happy about it, but and had a class of 12 students, you know, in that town. When I first moved there, they weren't prepared for a differently abled person. They were not prepared for having to get them to and from school. They were not. They didn't have, you know, paras and stuff. They had to get that going when I moved there. Because I was the only one with the physical difference that, you know, needs help and needs, you know, a bus with a wheelchair lift. They had to get all that. They never had anybody with a physical difference like that. So you're already sticking out in this community in a big way. I was, and that was before I even came out, out. And that was terrifying in itself. But like when I got into junior high and they started having spirit week, we would have gender bender day. Mm -hmm. That was the only day that my father was okay with me dressing in men's clothes. Like, you know, he would let me wear shorts around the house usually, but. If we were going somewhere, I had to dress up, but not be revealing at the same time. So it was very like conservative, modest thing. And I'm just like, and my stepmom, you know, she was like, oh, you, you don't need to wear makeup. Da, 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 da. I'm just like, hmm. then I started doing it sometimes like when we'd have concerts and stuff, 
my friend would bring makeup to school and, you know, do my hair and makeup for me. And I was like, hey, I'm getting around it because I want to do this. Yeah. Whatever. Not realizing, I realize it now, not realizing then that it is part of my queer identity, like who I am, how I express myself. And so, <clears throat> you know, I'd go through that. Well, I used to have really, really long hair. And with my physical challenges, it's hard to, like, move certain <laughs> ways and do what you need to do. Well, my hair was down to the middle of my back. Literally. Again, kind of playing out the religion. Girls are supposed to have long hair. Boys are, you know clean cut, whatever, like, and so when my stepmom got aggravated at me one day, because I couldn't brush my hair, because it was out of the middle of my back, she just chopped it off. What, the Delilah? Oh my God. She just like chopped it off to my shoulders without talking to me. She's like, you can't brush it. So here we go. And I was like, Outwardly, you know, I had to play the role of, oh my God. It was still kind of a like, oh my God, forceful situation. Right. This is my body, back up, but. <laughs> back off. Like, it, even if I would have wanted to mention, hey, I want to cut my hair short, they would have been like, no. So, like, that whole thing was kind of traumatizing in a way and then my biological father got really mad because he wasn't consulted oh yeah and my stepmom's thing was like well it's still feminine it's just shorter so that they can take care of it and by the way i do paraphrase because i don't feel comfortable using female pronouns like okay. for myself so when i tell stories i tell them either neutral or as if I was born male. Uh, it has to be confusing more. when telling, because you go by he, him pronouns now, is he, that correct? Him, usually it's he, him, but like most of the time now, I'm like, I've started to lean more towards the they, them, because people aren't sure. So I'd rather... Yeah, no. I'd like to do what you do, and I prefer they, them for that reason. Additionally, I hated when I was in school and had to write papers and had to say his or her, or he, and I'm just like, I hate this phrase. Why can't we just, and once they now oh, is neutralized. Yes, yes, please. please. Wonderful. Well, and see, the thing was like, so we went through that. And of course, with my with my stepmom, she did that. And then my biological father got mad. And then he calmed down a little bit after she justified it. Because she was like, oh, yeah, they, you know, dexterity, like reach and movement makes more sense. On the outside, I was playing like I was devastated. But secretly on the inside, I was like, 
Hey, we're this a step closer. A step closer. This looks more like me, right? Slowly. Well, and then as I started going, I decided I my sophomore year to chop it even shorter. The thing with that was is to stay safe from abuse. I had to still go in the feminine style. So that was that was a thing. But, you know, I had to play the role so well all the way from birth all the way until I got back here to junctions. But because of safety reasons for abuse and, you know, different things. And so (laughs) fast forward to I graduate high school, class of 44 students. Wow. May will be nine years ago now. Um, For one, they wanted to hold me back. I don't know why. They wanted to hold me back till I was 21, but I graduated with the rest of my class. I was like, no, fuck this. (laughs) I'm (laughs) out. Yeah. (laughs) Like, no, do not make me stay behind. Do not make me feel stuck. Uh, Graduating high school, and then I moved to McCook, Nebraska which is slightly bigger than Beaver City, enough to have a community college, but still fairly conservative, still close to like an hour away from that town Mm. that I was kind of forced to grow up in. Um, When I went to college, I started rebelling a little more, cut my hair even shorter. They did not like that. (laughs) Um, There were times, you know, when I'd go home and, Everything within me, like my father wouldn't make comments. Are you trying to be a fucking lesbian? And I'm like, no. And then they'd say, Are you trying to be a boy? And I had to bite my tongue for safety reasons, but mm. everything within me wanted to, yes, I am a boy. I'm not, you know. So then when I get to Christmas break for college, I decide I want to come here because I have an aunt that lives here, my father's sister and uh you know i was just gonna go for break and then come back and my aunt convinced me to stay here which great but my aunt turned out to like i really felt like she took advantage of me she wasn't physically abusive like my father but she had given me an ultimatum of get a job and or go to college or you're going to get out of the street. And I'm just like, you need a moment to like get your right to get your stuff settled and to figure out what's going on. And right. That can't be easy. And still trying to figure out my identity at that point, because I'm still living as female. And of course my aunt had gay neighbors across the street. And then her best friend neighbor directly across from her. And they would call like, and watch out the window in the living room. Like if the gay couple was fighting outside, you know, you couldn't hear them, but you could see them. And so they, those two would make fun of the gay couple and it made my stomach like sick. So I was like, nope, not coming out around her either, you know? And then I start going to CMU because uh, I thought that I got accepted to be a music major, but I did not. 
my difference of being differently abled. I was accepted into the college, but told I could not be a music teacher because I cannot stand on my own two feet. Good God. I faced a lot of discrimination in in college, too. Nobody did anything about it. They went as far as because somebody thought that I said that I was going to kill myself. Um, And so they decided to have a suicide ideation locked me in a room with campus police as well as crisis from mind springs and several other people locked my best friend at the time and caregiver at the time out because i said the only way i'll go talk to you guys if he goes with and he was an ra at the college um and he was also the leader of the gay straight alliance And that is when I started learning when I'd go to the GSA meetings. That's when I started learning and putting two and two together just slowly. Oh, there is all these different identities, different people, different orientations, you know, all this. And uh, so that kind of helped me. But then with all the crap I was facing at the college, I dropped out. After having kidney stone surgery, because I couldn't go. Oh, yeah. I couldn't go back. The pain was too much. I was too far behind. It was nuts. I move in with this one roommate, and then there's a big old mess that happens there. And then I move out and move in temporarily with my friend, who was my caregiver at the time, who had gotten kicked off of being an RA on campus. Um, I moved in with him temporarily and my biological mom managed to get a house. So I moved in with her. That was rough at times because people going in and out and people I didn't really trust. And, you know, when I went to Rainbow Prom, that was like my first, like, LGBT event, really. Mm. Uh, I went with my friend Nick and I came out as bi then. And I came out as bi to my mom then. And she, no, no, you're not. I'm like, and then fast forward to July of 2016. That was in 2015. So fast forward to July of 2016. And uh, you have me meeting my ex-spouse who the one the one really positive thing I will say is they did help me realize, yeah, you are trans. Like, it wasn't forced upon me. There was just things that would happen that helped me realize, oh, shit. There's something different, right? Light bulb. Light bulb, mm-hmm. that's what's been wrong. And so I you know, started socially transitioning and I started going to drag shows right before I met my ex, just watching them. That was my first exposure. They had had a comedian come to the college when I was still going. And one of the local drag queens came with. And that's how I got started going to drag queen karaoke and then started 
going to drag shows to watch. That was my introduction. But I was hanging out with a queen that was younger than me that now I believe lives in Florida. And she was like, well, why haven't you performed yet? Because I did like an impromptu one in my living room. And so my friend, one of my other friends at the time, we went to the college because I live close to the college and it was like a quiet day or whatever. And we went to the recital hall and I did an impromptu performance, which he recorded and we put on Facebook and that got me in my first show. And back then, you know, I wasn't out yet still. I was what they considered a bio queen. So I was like doing that and having fun and whatever. And then all that crap goes down when I come out publicly as trans because everybody thought my ex was forcing me and putting that idea in my head. Oh, yeah. Now, um, you have watched that episode. So you saw Javi. Yes. Mm-hmm. Van Dyke. Now, from this point on, just so you're not confused, that is, for me, that is my dad. Yes. Ever since I've known him, that's dad. That's He's my father figure. He's been there for me. Well, for the three years, you know, we didn't talk to each other. A lot of things were said and a lot of feelings were heard. And I was... I was terrified and I only got to do that one performance that first time before I came out two months later and then everything all crumbled. And so then it took three years, but then I started leaving my ex and coming back to watch shows. And, you know, I've already transitioned because I started transitioning medically in October of 17. That has saved me. It saved my life. Um, But with, you know, starting the medical transition, I thought I had to do away with all femininity. There were points where I went hyper-masculine or went hyper-feminine, and I couldn't find my balance. And that frustrated me because people were like, well, you're, you're a man. You can't wear a dress or, you know, wear something that's more girly or do makeup or this or that. Like there's certain expectations, but it took till now till this that we're going to get into here in a little bit. It took till that experience really for me to like, be like, Nope, this androgynous fuckery is here to say it's happening. Like, that's a thing. <laughs> I feel like so much of your story so far has been having to break out of these boxes that your family or other people had expectations for you. And just each time that you've got an opportunity to really express yourself, even at a hyper scale, you learn something about yourself in a way that stuck with you. And I think that's fucking phenomenal that each one of those steps, you just get closer and closer to who you truly, truly are. Yeah, that's, I've had to face it my whole life. You can't do this. You're not capable. You can't do this. Somebody like, you can't do it. <laughs> like, what? 
And I believe that. I I believe that for the longest time. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear something enough, you're going to believe it. Absolutely. So it. And it's not kind of what religious, the harmful religious beliefs that we grew up with, that's what they're based on. It's just having to hear them enough that, you know, we grew up realizing that we're queer and we're different. We only believed that that was shameful because we were told that, but we naturally went towards that because that's who we naturally are. Yeah. Well, and, you know, having to go to the Bible camp because... You know, I went for one week as a guest and then the second week I had to work and it's the middle of summer in Nebraska and it's a hundred, hundred plus. I think it even got up to like 120. Wow. Uh, I do not do well in heat, especially because the wheelchair is dark and it collects heat. Mm. So. And it's been my experience with camps like that, especially when they're run by people, you know, that are abusive or I'm assuming you're, I don't want to diagnose people, but your dad probably has some narcissistic bullshit if that's how he's behaving. So I can't even imagine how fucked up this camp, (laughs) how the camp life would have been and kind of the shady shit that probably went down there too. It was, you know, it was a thing where, I had a friend that I went to high school with. She went with me to, you know, be my caregiver for those two weeks. Um, She uh, kept yelling at me when I'd go off and go talk with the pastor about music, not relating to God, just music, because I I haven't in a while, but I am a musician as well. I write song lyrics. I play piano to the best of my ability. I sing, which I'm still learning my voice because I used to be a soprano in high school. And then I got moved to an alto. Right. (laughs) Hormones change that. Yeah. Mine, they put me on the highest dose right away. And my voice was cracking within like two weeks. (laughs) So. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember Chronicles of Narnia? Yes. Um, when I hear of people transitioning and they talk about the second puberty, I immediately think of those poor kids from Chronicles of Narnia that they had to go through puberty twice as well. Yes. <laughs> the worst thing, honestly, was the squeaking when my voice would crack. I'd say something and it would just squeak and it. I mean, it still does that sometimes if I get, like, super excited. Like, in the episode, which we'll get to later, mm-hmm. uh, you see that one scene where they show, they're show they showing me the video and my reaction afterwards, and you're hearing my voice just, like, break and Yes, squeak. yes. I know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, there trying to come out at once and then the voice is just, I can't do that pitch. I'm just going to shut down basically, you know? No, no, exactly. And I'm just like, okay, that's fine. Like whatever. But you know, even in the medically transitioning process, I struggled going from therapist to therapist to therapist because um, the one that is known for 
you know, doing the gender specific counseling, I can't go to because I'm friends with. And it'd be a dual relationship. I didn't learn that till later. But thankfully, she was able to help me help my counselors, like giving them the templates and stuff. Cool. That worked out then. The first counselor I went to knew nothing. So I was like educating her. And then she wrote the letter to get me started. And then when I'd go back, she's like, well, you're transitioning because of your past or your power hungry. You need to write letters to dead name. Thank you her because without her you wouldn't be here and i'm just like that's not helpful to you right now no no it was very triggering i would go talk to the therapist i'm friends with about that she's like hell no (laughs) like that's not okay (laughs) i went through like four or five therapists struggled and struggled and struggled throughout my whole entire process of transitioning was also fearing the fact that I have the physical difference. I thought that was going to keep me from transitioning. Because you don't see much of that out there. There was something that Bob said in the episode that stuck with me that when you're different, you stick out. And I think of that as kind of entering one world of it. You know, so I'm, I'm queer. Right. So I now looking at it inside of the queer world and saying, oh, well, I fit in here because I'm queer. But if you zoom out in all of society, I'm just I only fit into this little part, just one little nugget. But then even inside of this nugget, there's parts that I fit into and parts that I don't. So Bob mentioned because you are um, differently abled. And then on top of that, you're trans, you're queer on top, you know, so that's adding a two different types of differences. Um, I'm a huge Star Trek nerd, right? So they talk about having infinite combinations of infinite or infinite diversity and infinite combinations. In other words, yeah, you could talk about this type of people in a story and that could be interesting. Or you could talk about inside of this like different culture, this is the person who sticks out. Now let's learn their story because you learn about the culture as well. You have two differences and that makes it So you have less and less people to really relate one-on-one to, but Mm -hmm. it also creates intersectionality that because people who understand one side of you, when you tell your story, you're giving them an an opportunity to understand this other completely different side of you that they wouldn't have been exposed to. Bob said that there's not usually Marvel superheroes that look like you. What, what, What is that like? What is that sort of being distinct even within your distinctiveness it it's scary i'm not gonna lie (laughs) it's very scary because like when you go out there yeah um, i get stares because of the chair Mm -hmm. now being trans there's a lot of things that come with that i and this may or may not happen I believe it does sometimes because I sit all the time people's gaze directly goes to my lower half so I feel like they're trying to like determine what I am yeah 
like whether I have a penis or a vagina. Like sometimes that'll make me really self-conscious. And then like, you know, being taught you have to present a certain way if you're a male or female. Like getting back into drag, I have been more expressive with makeup, but after the experience on We're Here, mm, you know, the listeners aren't going to see me right now, but you see me. You're makeup out, babe. I love it. I embrace the androgynous fuckery, as Bob said. Yes. <laughs> and that is that is me. Like, that is where I feel comfortable, which is why, you know, I relate to Gerard Way so much. Um, Wait, who's, Ger- who's Gerard? I've never heard. Who is that again? I've never heard of him. Who's Gerard yeah. Way <laughs> is the lead singer of My Chemical Romance. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I relate to him so much. I recently uh, found out that um, he is part of our community. Oh, no way. Okay. Um, More, I mean, somewhat, he more fits into like the, I found interviews on this actually. He more fits into like the non-binary area of it. Hmm. But like, He's not afraid to express the femininity. Like if we look at, let's go clear back to 2004. <laughs> I was, see, this is where you lose me because I was too busy listening to DC Talk. Uh, Five Iron Frenzy was too hard for me. You know, I was probably humming in a circle listening to Muppets and Michael W. Smith. <laughs> no, you know, you know, you know. The only reason I say it the way I say it is me me too, that same type of thing. It wasn't until I got back here. So like 2015. Actually, I like middle school. They played Teenagers by My Chemical Romance at the dance. But like that was pretty much the only exposure I had because if you're emo scene or anything different, they're like anything, it was bad. And so... Now I can say this, but if we if we rewind back to 2004, and you can look at pictures of this too, I am not lying. The sweet uh, three cheers for sweet revenge era. Gerard has pretty long black hair, like it's like shoulder length almost, and he's wearing makeup and all this, and it's like he feels really comfortable embracing whatever and not only that he is a huge ally to them. Mm. he has spoken on that in videos and such and uh i i've had friends tell me that in my face i have similarities to him and i was just like no, no way so like i started telling people when i started doing you know before we we're here when i started doing drag again and i felt comfortable enough to start doing makeup nowhere near what I have now um I would tell them I'm embracing my inner Gerard and I talk about that a lot actually there's only a little bit of it in the show but I talked about it a lot he is one of my biggest idols like ever 
I love that you found somebody you can emulate that we need that, don't we? As we're figuring out who we are, we find little pieces in media. Sometimes it's, for me, it's television because I'm, I spend too much time watching television, but we see little pieces of ourselves and in others. And it's sometimes a part of us that we want to aspire to, but it's always a reflection. The core of it is reflection of saying, Hey, there's a little bit of me inside of that person. Now I want to do that. You're getting to provide that now for a whole bunch of differently abled kids and a whole bunch of queer people a whole bunch of trans people. And I love that your drag is doing that. I, I guess I want to explain a little bit of drag for our straight listeners that the point is just like professional wrestling takes like hyper masculinity and makes almost a joke, like a self-aware joke out of it. Uh, drag does in a lot of ways with hyper femininity, but there's also other th- ways inside of drag now that there's like, even uh, there's drag Kings where that's um, somebody who's going to be more masculine presenting um, in their character, or there's even gender. It doesn't matter. The beginning of it started as like hyper femininity. The whole point of it is take a core of who you are, your self-expression and just like magnified the fuck out of it and and let it out. And what you were talking about of where you didn't want people to look at you, but then with drag, it turns around into something completely different. What is that like? It's somewhat intimidating sometimes because I am the only performer in my specific circumstance as far as the obvious physical reason and the obvious I can't you know do death drops I can't run around in the crowd normally I don't even have the power chair that you see normally I have a manual chair that I cannot push myself because I end up going in circles so normally I'm just locked down in one spot with the spotlight and just moving and doing what I can uh So sometimes there's, I've had one or two instances where it wasn't the normal crowd and I only got tipped $1 my first number. Oh God. I went and talked to the MC. I was like, uh, can you like mention not to be scared of me? Like, and they, they handled it really well. They were really good. They hung my back. And so, you know, it's different sticking out and being, um, being so different. But I've, especially after we're here, I've learned to embrace that. Like, I, I never, I never, and I, I've told, you know, the cast and crew this on and off camera. I never thought I would be worthy or worth enough for something like this. Yeah. And before that, before the show even happens, um, dad, Javi, is the owner promoter of Grand Valley Shining Star, which is the regional drag pageant we have here. Mm-hmm. Uh, which connects to the national one in Denver, which is Rockin' on Shining Star, 
which Lamar runs. Uh, well, I was, as far as I knew, I was just a guest performer because I'm like, I can't compete, you know. The stuff they normally expect from a pageant, how the hell am I supposed to do that? I get up on stage and they start doing a speech. You can find this video on my YouTube, I swear. They start talking and then I hear the words, we're going to do something groundbreaking. And I'm like, the fuck, shit, what? They crowned me Mr. Grand Valley Shining Star, Mr. Ability 2021 without me even competing. Mm. And that means I'm going to nationals in January in Denver. That's awesome. That's going to be badass. I'm just like, holy shit. Like all of this is compiling now. Like what is it? You're in a league of your own. Literally. (laughs) I love it. Literally. Um, We do need to take a short break. When we get back, I want to talk about your transition as you've been talking about and what you've learned about yourself and in drag um, your your experience with we're here, and what you want to tell the world. What is it that you're you're just passionate to say and passionate to tell people? Um, so we'll do that when we get back from the break. This is Surprise Intermission Interview, the part of the intermission that I do a surprise interview. You may recognize my guest work from the many years that they were previously on Veggie Tales before being wrongfully let go. I have with me today. Cordy, the computer. Thank you for signing on. Oh, you don't have to print. I can just read the screen. Oh, uh, okay. And Cordy said, it is my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Cordy, you played all the different computer variations in the show since it began in 1993, but you noticed a big change in everybody's attitude when you started to ask questions. What happened? I promise I could just read your script. You don't have to... Uh, Let's see here. Cordy says, Bill Vischer told me my entire life that he created me, but when I got the internet, imagine my surprise when I learned about Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Alan Turin, Wozniak, but who created Cordy? Wow, that is so much the compute. I'm sorry you went through that. What advice would you give to somebody who's rebooting their beliefs now? Don't deconstruct alone. Join the Life After group on Facebook. Oh, that's great advice. I'll recycle this one. And don't forget to rate and review the Life After on iTunes. Oh, you got more. Okay. This seems really nice. And join the Patreon. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Thanks for chatting with me, Cordy. And listener, enjoy the rest of the episode. The Life After Podcast. Wait, you can talk? <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you for sticking with us. You had mentioned drag. That's been a big part of finding who you are, figuring out uh, how to express yourself. Also, if you can explain to us, what is a drag family or what is a drag father? How does that work in your community? Well, okay, so first of all, bouncing back to kind of, I guess, define drag a little more. Mm -hmm. uh, 
explain it a little more generally, make it a little more easy. Um, yes, there are those hyper aspects of it still. Hyper feminine, hyper masculine, like drag is actually an acronym, dress resembling a girl. Um, but drag has evolved and changed over the years. And my drag dad, who I mentioned earlier, I call dad, uh, hobby has, he's learning all the time. You know, he comes from that old school, um, trans, you know, man, woman, trans, like certain, not that he's against everything else, but like, that's what he grew up. That's the framework that he's used to. Mm -hmm. This is a trans woman. This is how they act. This is a trans man. This is how they act. Da-da-da-da-da. But he um, has now tried to educate people that drag is what we call gender expansive, which meaning um, I am a drag king, but I am an androgynous drag king. So I don't play on the hyper-masculine typical aspect of a drag king. Um, That, you know, people are still coming around to that because they're used to the old-school traditional drag, but we're breaking new grounds every day. I love it. You ended up on We're Here. The the best way that I describe this show to people is if Queer Eye and Drag Race have a baby together in the sense of three drag queens that I absolutely love. Uh, we got Shangela, Bob the Drag Queen, and Eureka that were previously on drag, RuPaul's Drag Race. They go to small towns. They find three queer people and they feature them in their stories uh, for the entire episode. And then at the end, there's a drag performance. Uh, not everybody's queer that they feature. There's been some straight people, I think. But the point is to kind of celebrate what makes people different inside of a small town. Is that a fair well, assessment? Yeah, not only that, but a lot of people are closed-minded, especially in some towns where it's... Because I've seen both seasons. Um, mm-hmm. And I've cried like a baby. Mm-hmm. Same. <laughs> it was so hard not to cry the other day. I'll get into that later. But, you know, I feel like... <coughs> excuse me. Um queer people, people who don't fit into gender norms or don't want to express, like, there are even cis people and straight people that do drag that I have seen more recently. Like, it's breaking boundaries. It is truly one of the most groundbreaking things I have ever seen in my life. And I think, you know, every episode is special and it's crazy to think about there's three sets because it's not necessarily individual people. There have been some episodes where it's, you know, a mother and a son or a mother and a daughter or uh, two, like a couple. But 
it's one you they get one drag mentor because they're like one uh, unit one, one unit yeah one drag That's unit right. <laughs> yes. and so, but i you know, it's been beautiful to be able to see people come around, but also I like that. Don't get me wrong. I don't like any negative toward anybody, queer, anybody, anywhere whatsoever, whether you're in, in our community or an ally, you know, or just a person on this earth. I don't like any hate or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But I do like how they do encompass the reality of... I don't remember which episode it was in the first... I think it was the very, very first episode of season one where they were in, I want to say, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, they went into this, I don't know if it was like an antique store or something, and they were trying to like just, you know, doing their thing, being all friendly, being fabulous, just as they are. And I remember reading the comment on the screen because they had the words up for it because it was kind of quiet, but hearing the comment you people can get out of here. Like, I don't remember what exactly what it was, but it was very negative. I don't want you people coming back into my story. You get out of here. Like, basically, like, you're disgusting. We want nothing to do with you. I like that they do show that that exists. I don't yes. like that that exists, but I like that they show that side, too. To let people see what it's like and what is happening to see what we face as individuals in this community. Cause it's not all, you know, the drag shows and the glamor. We face a lot of shit. And I think particularly what makes our episode so special is all three of us are trans individuals um, with some commonalities you know but we have such vastly different stories you what makes you all the same you all are very there's a spectrum of experiences mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. when you did were here what would you say your goals were? What did you want people who are watching to know and to learn? There are a few things um, that were really big for me to want to get out, out there. Um, and one of them, and I even say this, if you watch that, is what I say it in there, is if you want to try drag or performance art, or if you want to try, you know, but you're scared. I was scared too. Just do it. You don't know how it'll make you feel. It could make you feel amazing. Like for me, it is what I explain to people all the time. Is once I hit my stage, whether that's the floor or like an actual stage, or like if I have my power chair and I'm, you know, doing my thing 
like for the let's just say five minutes that I'm on stage, my different ability, the negative connotation and everything goes away. What I've been bound with my whole life that I cannot escape goes away. Hmm. And uh, it's freedom. It's empowerment. It's I don't I don't want to stop doing it until I like physically cannot. I keep thinking in my mind the difference between our relationship with the Bible growing up, saying this is who you need to be, this is who you need to be, here are the boxes that you need to fit, or if you break out, if you don't do this, it's a sin and it's wrong, blah, 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 compared to drag, which is just humans celebrating being humans. It's not, hey, you need to become this, you need to do this. It's, okay, what are you? Now let's celebrate that to the nth degree. With your chair, it gives you an ability to be a type of drag performer that other people can't authentically do because they don't have the experiences required for that uniqueness. I think that's such a badass thing about Dustin Van Dyke. I love that. At first, that's what scared me. I was like, oh, am I going to be able to keep up with not you? keep up with everybody else because I can't do the splits. I can't run out in the crowd. I can't death drop open up like they can. But, you know, I've learned to embrace it and especially um, before COVID hit when I started coming back for shows. My first two shows back. Yes, I said two shows because They kept getting rescheduled. So they ended up being back-to-back nights. My first shows back, the songs I chose, and I tend to do this, but more so now I lean within my chemical romance and then choose from their catalog of songs of what I'm wanting to express nowadays. Um, But my first songs back um, for my very first show were Put the Gun Down by Andy Black, um, which for me, that was about leaving my toxic ex-spouse, getting away from that. Can anybody hear me? Can anybody see me? Because I'm about to, I don't want to throw this away, but I feel like I want to throw this away at the same time. Like, I feel like I want to give up. And then my second song was Gives You Hell by All American Rejects. And that was like my way of telling my ex, fuck you. I am better without you. And then I threw in It's My Life by Bon Jovi. Like, I'm here. I'm taking it back. I love it, yeah. That's it. this is me. This is me. Mm. This is him. And so those first two shows back, one was for Delta Pride, one was for here in Grand Junction, because we kind of have split communities now they're kind of together but not like they used to be before I left I don't know what happened uh (laughs) you know we're all civil but the rule is if I perform in any shows that dad doesn't run 
I have to make sure that they introduce me as a Van Dyke because that is my name. That is what I represent. Um, so then, you know, we're going doing shows, doing shows, doing shows. And I think January of last year, I want to say somewhere around there, dad reaches out to me and he goes, I have this idea for like a new show and a new section of Delta Pride. I want to run it by you. I want you to be the head of it. And I was like, okay, well, he continues to tell me about it. And he goes, it's called don't diss my ability. For one, that is a very clever name. A very clever way to do it. Um, and I am the head of that section. We do have some other differently able performers, but their circumstances and their different abilities are not as, maybe not as noticeable or not as severe as mine. Um, but, you know, that gives a voice to people who don't have a voice and for me drag is giving me a voice when I can't when I feel like just as normal everyday dust and I can't express something when I'm in drag it, that's I can get everything out and then I started to shift right before COVID shut everything down I started to shift to doing predominantly my chemical romance and embracing my inner Gerard way leads around my chemical romance. And I even have a black parade jacket and I have a danger days era jacket as well that I just got, but you know, that's where I kind of feel my drag sits. That's the kind of expression you know, my angst and my anger and my just there's ways to just get things out. I don't know what it is, but I connect with Gerard on such a, a deep level. It's not even funny. Well, that was a cool part of your episode. And I guess we'll get to that in a second. Um, you get a, you got to talk to him on a video call, which was awesome. Uh, and a great part of the episode you had mentioned before. What, how did you, what was the process like going on to the show and knowing that they're coming and one day they show up in the, the cameras and all of that? What was that I, like? I had never done anything like this. So for the whole process to start, what happens is dad text me one day just like in the morning randomly hey how are you i do have a minute i want to talk to you about something and my brain goes oh boy oh no oh <laughs> shit oh no what now what now what are you throwing me in now and then he calls me and he tells me somebody from the casting crew spoke to him um to try to get him to come on and he, you know, he's like, basically, I don't know exactly what he said because I wasn't there, but basically he was like, 
I have my notoriety, but I recommend. And he nominated me. Wow. Um, and when he told me that, he's like, somebody from the casting department or whatever is going to be like reaching out to you. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> I love it. Hey, okay. And so like, it was a lot of just like, hurry up and wait. Yeah. Anxious, like, you know, when you're like, I just want to know and then get chosen for a casting interview and then have to do another one. So hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. And then I do the interviews then I have to hurry up and wait for confirmation because they're like, well, you know, we got to go through all this and see if Grand Junction is right. So it's a lot of anxiety. Like, And then when I realized that they were going to be here, the time frame of the um, shooting that they were going to be here landed at the end of Grand Junction Pride Week. <clears throat> Which this was my second Pride Fest I have been to. I went to one back in 2016 before I met my ex with some of my other caregivers. Uh, when I was living with my biological mom, my other caregivers took me. That Pride, I was a spectator, except for the parade, I was on a float. And then, you know, all that other stuff went down and I didn't go to Pride until this year. This was the first time back. This was the first time as myself. Um, the whole thing about this, you know, was trying to coordinate because I performed at pretty much every drag show they had for Pride this year. I had like eight different performances in one week. Wow. So having to coordinate all this because like, I met with Eric and Alex. They are some of the producers on the show. I did a Zoom call with them and, you know, let them know my availability, what that looked like, because they were going to be here the last two, three days of Pride. And so then I did a Zoom call with them. And then two days later, I think it was, they showed up on their Friday and I got to meet them in person and we just you know they got to kind of know me a little bit and ask me questions about what is comfortable for me to like show of the physical challenges I face every day because you know like you get up you don't have to think about it you get up, go to the bathroom, you know, get dressed, brush your teeth, whatever. Me, I wake up, I have to call JT. Or if somebody else is helping me, I have to call them, wait for them to come get me, have them help me move, you know, have them help me get dressed, have them help me to the bathroom, from the bathroom, you know, things like that. So... I'm not going to lie. It was a little scary thinking about it because I mean, they were asking, they're like, if you're not okay with X, Y, and Z part, you know, we don't have to do it. And not going to lie. I was a little hesitant and a little scared, but I was like, no, this needs to be shown. This needs to be shown what I face. I'm not going to be judged for it. 
it's part of my life. Yeah. And so opening up and being vulnerable like that took a lot. Like I am an open book. I will tell you anything and everything about my life. But being on camera to where it's you see what I'm used to being on camera, you know, kind of being moved around, but to be on camera and be able to tell my story, show my story, show what I faced without being judged. Like they let me actually talk with the crew that morning before we started filming. And then when we started filming, you know, we just handle it like they're filming, you know, that's what's supposed to be happening. But, you know, I had to warn them, hey, we're going to need this much space because he has to pick me up and move me. And so you can't have a mic here because we'll trip over it or, you know, we'll trip over you and we don't want to do that. But that first day was crazy because I, like I wasn't performing that day. That was one of my days off just to party. But it was crazy just getting to like meet everybody and get accustomed to like cameras being in my space. Mm -hmm. It didn't scare me. It was just an adjustment. What I was worried about was that like I was looking at the cameras too much. It's natural. We always do that of, do I, is that what it looked like? Is that what people are, you know? Uh, And it's like, huh. But then like the second day, which was Saturday, well, Saturday actually was the first day of filming, not Friday. So the first day of filming, they had to, I had two gigs that day. So I had two hours of filming and then I had to hurry up and get ready for a gig and then come back take all that makeup off because you know i wasn't filming another scene for like two three hours which was when i got sweet bob you know you don't know who you get they don't tell you that so it, it, it you're surprised by it but i just remember one of the eric one of the producers goes um so, you know how you yelled at us the other day to just come in? Like, I wasn't mean, but, you know, come in so they could hear me. Eric's like, I liked that. That kind of shows who you are and how how you are. So do that, like, with Bob, like, with when your person comes in. They almost slipped with me. They slipped in front of JT, but I was too much in my headspace that I didn't even hear what they said. So JT had to keep his mouth shut because he was going to spill the beans of which queen yours. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, you know, I get all set. Come in. You know, you'll see that there when you watch the episode and just being able to meet Bob, like my reaction is still, I still feel that way. Like watching it back, I'm like, this cannot be real. And so then, you know, 
we we go through all that filming process and that interview and then i had to hurry and get ready for another gig that night what a, what a busy week my god they left and then go do that gig and then the next morning do the pride parade and you know they eric and alex had asked me when we did the zoom interview is there something important that you want us to film of you like really important so they know you know something you want us to know something you want us to see and i was like well i'm performing in the pride drag show on the last day and i would like if you guys could catch that and so they did they they showed up and they they caught that you'll see you won't hear what song i chose which if you go look at my actual YouTube, you'll be able to see what it is. Um, but I chose that song because I was missing my grandma and it was just appropriate. And she loved Bon Jovi. So I chose Story of My Life. Um, and I just, I had my power chair. They made that work that day. And I was like, it was like everything. And so I, Bob and Eureka were there. And I just remember after my performance, they, you know, I think it was both dad and JT were trying to get my attention. And I go over and Bob is like in tears, crying from seeing me do that. And just like, I, I think it was then I started to realize, even though filming had really just started, holy shit, I am making an impact on somebody who's a big name. You mentioned the name. A lot of people are going to know who that is. Yeah. You know? And just realizing, holy shit, I, I made this person cry. I was that powerful in that performance. Like what? And then like going through, you know, the scheduling and rescheduling because poor Eureka. I'm not exactly sure how it happened because I wasn't there, but she broke her arm during filming here. Oh, damn. That is why. I love what they did. I don't remember how she actually broke it, but that's why in the beginning of the episode, you see her fly, quote unquote, off that cliff, and then you see her arm in a sling. And she says, I broke my arm, guys. She actually broke her arm while filming here. Something wow. they were doing. So. You know, we had to kind of shift some things around sometimes, but there were places, you know, I'm a local. I've been back here almost seven years. Um, there were places that we went that I haven't been. So that was cool to kind of get out and like mm -hmm. experience get a fresh that. look at your own town almost, right? Yeah, well, and they production was really really cool because like i said we don't have a vehicle that allows for my power chair um and there is a ride company but you know 
and you only get two non-medical rides a week. Other than that, you have to pay out of pocket, and I cannot do that. But production worked things out so that I could have my power chair during the entire shoot because they realized how important it was for me to have that and to showcase my independence. Um, I know that the day that I got to meet with the glam squad, yes, I wore that shirt on purpose, but it's not what most people may think. I wore my Black Parade My Chemical Romance shirt that day to the shoot because one of the producers is absolutely in love with My Chemical Romance. Huge fan as well. And I told him I had the shirt and I told him I was going to wear it to the shoot. And, you know, I didn't know what song I was going to have. They thought I knew. And I was like, but when they told me what what song I was doing, you can see it mm-hmm. on my face. I just flip out, and that's like... So they assigned the song to you? You didn't choose? Yeah, no, they assigned the song to you. But they ask you, you know, in, like, the interview, what are your inspirations? What what are you into like you know type of thing and when they asked me you know what type of drag you want to do i'm like well you know i kind of want to break out of what i've been used to doing and express this side of myself and i feel like the androgynous just i femboy like Embracing my inner Gerard. Okay, speaking of my chemical romance, can would you please tell the story of the surprise that happened? Okay, so first of all, before I tell what happened, I literally died inside. I died inside when this happened, okay? (laughs) Like, (laughs) so I'm sitting in makeup, you know, and Bob's doing makeup like next to me, like off on the side. And they keep going, oh, I'm going to, you know, go make a call. And this was the day of the final day of shooting, the final, you know, the big performance and everything. And uh, Bob keeps going off. I need to go make a call. And I'm like, hmm, is something wrong? You know, and that's where my brain goes. I'm like, because they did it more than once. And I was like, huh, what? And then, you know, my makeup's done and we're getting close to showtime and Bob goes, what you doing? And of course, I'm watching, you know, rehearsal video of the choreography to make sure I have it in my head because I'm starting to get nervous and excited and everything. And Bob goes, I have something better. And I was like, what? Like, my brain's like, what could be better? And, like, of course, this all goes in normal time, but for my brain, like, the shock value, it felt like it was taking a lot longer. So, the, uh, the, um, Bob holds the phone in front of me, and I'm, like, staring at the thumbnail. I'm like, no way, this can't be who it is. Bob hits the play button. Hi, Dustin, it's Gerard. And, well, 
like they had gotten in contact with him and I guess sent him like my casting tape or something. And like so he knows at least at that point part of my story. And they had told him that I was going to do Welcome to the Black Parade for the drag show. And he was just like, you know, basically, you you inspire me. Like, I am so proud of you. Go out there and have fun and give it everything you got. I can't wait to see it. And the video, it's like a 30-second video. And it ends. And I just, I can't cry because I'm in full face, though I want to cry. But I have to force myself not to because uh, five hours in makeup. And uh, so I just start screaming and screaming and screaming. <laughs> That's like all I can do. That's I love all it. That point. And like Eureka comes, what happened? What happened? What happened? And like, I'm just, I look at her and start screaming. Because I can't <laughs> So Bob explains it, and then I'm like, Bob asked me, you want to watch it again? I'm like, uh-huh, yes, yes. And then, like, the whole time I'm, like, sitting backstage waiting, like, be- right before I go on, I'm sitting there, like, thinking, holy shit, holy shit, Gerard knows I exist. Gerard knows I'm here. Gerard is going to see that I'm doing this. Oh, my God. What if he sees my other YouTube videos? Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and the next day, I woke up to one of the producers sending me the video. And that was the best thing to wake up to. So I have the video saved on my phone. I, that's, so, that's so badass. I adore that. <laughs> You did an amazing performance to to the uh, to the like parade. I the costumes were badass. The performance was great. Everything just nailed well, and I love that it was all just a celebration of you and what's important to you and what you want to express, what you want to tell the world. Um, it you all nailed it. I love the show so much. I love that it's just called "We're Here." You know, we got that "We're Here, We're Queer." The whole point is just to announce this is who we are. Let's celebrate we, it. Don't be scared. Yeah. And it's, you know, when I met with the glam squad and they were showing me the sketches of what they had come up with for me, because none of it was like, I mean, they asked me my favorite colors and kind of the style I liked, but beyond that, none of, none of anything was my ideas. To We're come based on it. you, yeah, yeah, and so Bob explains it perfectly in there. They just say, you know, we're embracing the femboy, but like, I will never forget how they said this, and it sticks with me. They're like, We're just going for androgynous fuckery and embracing it, and I'm like, yes. Embrace the androgynous fuckery. Yes. Love it. I love it. And so it's like a whole thing. And like that is honestly the best I've felt in a long time doing that performance and that whole show and everything. 
you got to be seen for who you are and now you're being celebrated. You deserve that. I'm so fucking happy for you. I hope that this opens up more opportunities because I want people to hear your story that even if you came out of an abusive bullshit thing of people telling you who you should be, you found yourself and you've made space and opportunity for other people who are different like you to also be to share in what you have in common too of being a badass and you can help them become badass as well. I, I was blown away. I loved your story. You said in the episode that you want to be able to make a difference in the world. And I want to tell you that you are. The representation that you're providing has never been represented before in this scale that I'm aware of. And I want to not applaud you. Oh, you're an amazing person. capable. I just want to applaud the human inside of you that says, if me being seen helps someone, then let me be seen in the most flamboyant ways that I can, you know? Yeah. I mean, that it, it allowed me to open up and learn things about myself. I didn't even know, like my, my expression, I feel more comfortable expressing the androgynous. Like I know I'm a man, but like, I don't fit in that norm, normie box. Like mm -mm. that represents an old way of thinking that our, your dad abused and that our families don't understand and try to <clears throat> make the Bible the priority of. But the reality is what needs to be celebrated is, is who we truly are. Before we go, uh, do you? What would you say to a listener who may be metaphorically or even physically in a similar situation that you found yourself when you felt you couldn't move and that your family was not allowing you to be yourself? What message would you tell them? Well, I would tell them it does get better. You have to go through hell to get to to the good place first you know it's not going to be easy but there is a light at the end of the tunnel you you got this you can do it if I did it with very limited help and having to fight for myself for what I wanted that should show you something if I can do it you can too Fuck. You can't top that. Thank you. Dustin, thank you so much for sharing your story on We're Here. Thank you for sharing it with me and our listeners. I hate how the religion was used to hurt you, but I love even more how you are hurting the religion by just being you. Well, not hurting the religion specifically, but <laughs> the, the effect, you know what I mean? Fuck the religion. Yeah, there Fuck. we go. Fuck, Fuck the religion. <laughs> but accepts that androgynous fuckery. <laughs> um, you're badass. You're an inspiration. I love you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I always end this show with a little saying, and that is if you don't go to church, 
A Sunday is just a second Saturday. This has been an episode of the Life After podcast. Find us on Facebook for our secret online community. Find our merch on TeePublic, monthly contributions on Patreon, and don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes. Used to hate myself, congratulations, you played yourself Out of mental health and living in self Speak for yourself, your marriage not a testimony Don't believe the church is a bribe, but she owe me alimony I'm a pony up and stick a feather in your ceremony Wearing weddings out, I call it Yankee Doodle Matrimony And I'm only getting started, my tongue is fire Fighting gaslighting leaders like your ways are not higher I don't need a choir to bring down the entire empire You threw the gasoline, I'm just spitting matches through the wire Trying to break them free, make them see The refrains and mental chains of slavery I disagree with any preacher, teacher not on defeat I repeat, I don't need a church to walk in victory I'm complete And everybody sings, and everybody sings Please, pull some strings for me And everybody sings, and everybody sings Go, 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 go